All right, let's pray. Let's go. Good to see you. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy upon us sinners. Amen. It's a strange morning. I woke up this morning, my computer, my computer didn't have a sermon or a Bible study. 5.45, I went in just to read through. I'm like, oh, this is a different kind of day. <laughs> so, uh, you know, sort of a penultimate copy, I'm sorry to say. And uh, does anybody else have trouble with the new word communicating with, the, with an Apple machine? Anybody? Or is it just me? It sometimes says, you don't have authority to open this file. I'm like... <laughs> You want me to talk to Kirby? Who should I talk to? <laughs> you never, it could be artificial intelligence kind of looking at our family. <laughs> Who's in charge here? Turn it off. Here's the thing. You can fix it. It's like saying, be healed. I want to know how to fix it, son. <laughs> I know there's somebody out there who can fix it. We'll talk if you know how to do it. Uh, so anyway, you know, you have the, some of this isn't quite as nice as I'd like, and the formatting got a little goofy. And, um, but anyway, this is, uh, I wouldn't have given you quite so much, but here's all I want to do. I want to, so you, we've been talking about how we're going to survive and how troublesome it's been, and how difficult it's been, and how even among Christians there are so many differences, and even in our congregation people see things, see things differently, and how we hold things together, and how we go forward, and how we do that without despairing. So we've been talking about all the things we do for each other. We share encouragement, we share comfort, we share strength, right? So you sort of, you know, you know this, this is kind of written in the rubrics. The world is a mess, but we don't want to be a mess. The world is flying apart and angry. We don't want to fly apart and be angry. One of the most basic things that we can do for each other is pray. And it's kind of good to cover this because there's an early Lent coming in the first week of March. But then also, what's so interesting, I, I want to really concentrate not on you know, all the things that go into prayer and all the stories about it. I really want to concentrate on you all praying for each other. So a very specific implementation of prayer. What I found interestingly is almost none of the church fathers and mothers and none of the really smart people I read separate prayers for the church from prayers for the world. Very interesting. So it's not really where I wanted to go, but then I, you know, if there are people smarter than you, you should follow them. And so I want to read a couple of things for you today, and I want you to think about it. But most of all, at the end of today, I would love it if you would give more thought and, frankly, more time to praying for each other. You can pray for your enemies. You can pray for the world. That's important. It's part of the deal. But the whole point of this year was... You know, I've said this to you in a bunch of ways. Keep the wounds small. Keep the healing fast. Pull people back together even though they're disparate, right? So uh, this very interesting question about how we can do that. So how do we carry on? And point two, it's a bad world, but you can't have a bad prayer. And you can't have a bad prayer because prayers are in the name of Jesus and they are 
animated by the Holy Spirit. You can't pray on your own. You can only pray because the Holy Spirit gives you words to say. You've got no resources on your own. And just by the by, you know, a little thing I learned from John Kleinig, you should be praying for the Holy Spirit every day, for him to possess you and energize you and come back and love you. He does love you, but, you know, pray for him to come and fill you and do some good. And so uh, in your prayers, uh, you can't have a bad prayer. Prayer is a mark of faith. Prayer is a mark of the Holy Spirit. Prayer uh, is a sign that God loves you and is working in you. And in the name of Jesus, since you only ask for the things inside Jesus' name, there can't be a bad prayer. There's only a good prayer. Any prayer is a good prayer in the name of Jesus, energized by the Holy Spirit. Okay? So these are all kind of ground rules that you know from the past. And I don't want to just rehash always, you know, what I've said in the past, except for the encouragement that you should pray. But from time to time, actually, not from time to time, all the time, uh, I come across prayers from people and I just sort of say, you know, how did they do that? So if you turn the page, here's a prayer from Basil of Caesarea. So Basil of Caesarea is legendary in the church. He was an archbishop in Cappadocia, along with um, Gregory of Nyssa and Gregory of Nazianzus. His entire family have been canonized, his three siblings, and I think his parents as well. This was at a time, although his father was martyred, uh, you know, so this is at a time where being a Christian was dangerous and meant something. And he was this remarkable guy who was a genius, the Council of Nicaea said about him. He was the doctor of mercy, which is, it's hard to say a better thing than that about a person. 75 years after he died, they're saying, he was the guy who taught us about mercy. He preached twice a day. He was the archbishop. He was famous because he built this tremendous hospital, large for the poor. He fought against prostitution and exploitation of children. He fed the poor, preached twice a day. I mean, this was a guy who had these fabulous gifts and had an energy to deliver, which is really quite astounding, right? And then you read this prayer. I mean, I read this. When I read this, I'm, all, I'm at once stunned at the maturity and joy of it and then kind of amazed at the intellect behind it. So just, just look at this. And, you know, part of it is you can just say, hey, do I, do I pray like this? And I'm guessing that you don't, but I'm encouraging that you do. And this is how you learn from other prayers. You know, sometimes people say, oh, you know, only prayers from the heart count and prayers that are written down and blah, blah, that's stupid, okay? It's dumb, D-U-M, dumb. So, uh, because there are people smarter than me and I learn all kinds of stuff. Look at this prayer, right? Remember, O Lord, this congregation present. Look at that, so that's good. And then immediately, and those who are absent with good cause. So we're not in judgment of people who are missing. We're like, Maybe there's a good reason they're not here. Have mercy upon them and upon us according to the multitude of your loving kindness. Now already what you see in these prayers is how merciful and loving these people are. We live in a time in the church when many people are very sharp and very judgmental and very harsh and are all about straightening other people out. 
Just observe how these people who are giants in the faith, who literally shaped the church across a couple of thousand years, listen today how they talk. I've given you several church fathers and mothers. The striking thing is they all talk about gentleness and mercy and kindness and love, which is very different from how I hear the church talking today, which is very much about judgment and harshness and we're in and you're out and to hell with you. Okay? He's three lines in. He's already begged for love and mercy three times. All right. Fill their garners with good things. Preserve their marriages in peace and love. Take care of their little ones. Lead their youth. Give strength to the aged. Comfort the timid and afraid. You can see a guy like this building a hospital that was so large and so free that it makes people's jaw drop. Bring home the scattered. Restore those who have erred and unite them with thy holy Catholic and apostolic church. The best prayers of the year for me to pray as a pastor are the, the, the prayers on Christmas Eve and on Easter Eve because both have reference to those who have wandered. Bring them home. On our biggest nights of the year, we pray for the people who aren't there. Succor those who are vexed with unclean spirits. Go with all traveling by sea and by land. Protect the widow. Shelter the fatherless. Deliver those in the mines. And little code. Often people who were in the mines were there sentenced as prisoners or acting as slaves. So just kind of tuck in prisoners and slaves. And those in exile. Those in distress or poverty or any kind of trouble, as opposed to us who kind of our generosity depends on whether we think people deserve it. We, pre we pre-qualify people for generosity the way, you know, a bank pre-qualifies people for a home loan. Of course, Jesus doesn't do that, but, but we do. Remember all who stand in need of your pity, which would be everybody. <laughs> Those that love us, and see, he can't help himself. Because really what I want to talk to you about today is those that love us, but those that hate us. Those who desire our prayers, unworthy though we be to offer them to thee. So here's the thing. You know, we figure we got it all going on. Jesus loves us and he'll hear our prayers. And then, you know, he says, I mean, this is the Archbishop of Caesarea. I mean, this is a guy whose father was killed by the emperor for being a Christian. This is a guy who is up against the Arians and against the new emperor. These are guys who live or die by what they say. And he prays for his enemies. Remember, O Lord, all your people and pour upon them in abundance your goodness, granting all their prayers unto salvation. All those whom we have not remembered through ignorance or forgetfulness. Sometimes in the morning I end my prayer with, and for all the people I've forgotten. Right? Or through the multitude of their names. Ah, there's so many people who need things and I've run out of time. Do thou thyself call to mind. Hey, so if I missed them, will you pray for them? That's nice. 
right? If you forget me in your morning prayers tomorrow, just ask Jesus to pray for me. Because frankly, if I'm choosing between his prayers and your prayers, <laughs> I'm going with the baby Jesus on this one, okay? Do yourself call to mind, O God, who knowest the name and age, each from his mother's womb. Right? From the time you're conceived to the time you die, we pray for people. For thou, O Lord, I'm sorry, yes, for thou, O Lord, art the helper of the helpless, the hope of the homeless, the savior of the tempest-tossed, the harvest of the voyager, and the physician of the sick. Look, praying in the names of Jesus, right? O Lord, who are helper, O Lord, who are hope, O Lord, who is the savior, O Lord, who is the harbor, O Lord, who is the physician of the sick. Help me, Miguel, what name do we use for the sick today? Do you remember what name do we use today? It's hard. Holy and true. Oh? Holy and true. Holy and true. Which, that, that would get you well if you were sick. Oh, holy and true. Yeah, that's good. Be all things to all men. Be everything to everybody. For you know them all, their petitions, their dwellings, and their minds. I mean, that is just, you, when, you, when I read that, I mean, I'm sort of kind of amazed and shamed and humbled all at the same time. You kind of go, you know, who prays like that? But then you have to take the step back and you say, you know, who believes like that? And then the step behind that is, who has a measure of the Holy Spirit like that? Of course, the answer is St. Basil of Caesarea, <laughs> you know, one of the great doctors of the church. But still, it's amazing. It's amazing stuff. And so I've turned the page. For me, that's great joy in a very cruel world. That there's one person out there praying like that. I mean, just as this constant. There's somebody out there, at least one person who's figured it out. Of course, you're meant to be that person. In this angry, crackling world that's coming apart. I mean, I wake up in the morning. I'm rare to go on Twitter, but for some reason, Twitter finds it deep in its own soul to contact me every morning for what it thinks to be most important, you know? And occasionally I click on it because I think to myself, honestly, I can't believe people are that stupid. Okay, I'll click. Which, of course, then the algorithm has me, right? Right where it wants me. Moves me around like I'm in a snow globe. Uh, but you kind of go, really, right? And then, of course, the question is, how does joy happen? And part of what you all need to do is, you know, be in, and the church has always been this way, I presume, um, you need to be in great rebellion against what everybody else thinks. It doesn't matter what everybody else thinks. Right? It matters what Jesus thinks, that matters. And then beyond that, not too much matters. So, you know, this question, does joy cause prayer or does prayer cause joy? Or is it both things, as so often is the answer, it's both of those. Does joy cause prayer, or does prayer cause joy? If you're joyless in your own life, should you pray? Or should you wait till you're happy to be pray, to pray again? Well, you know, I came across some quote from Madeline Engel yesterday. Believing takes practice. Yeah, that makes sense. So, um, number five, of course, you know, we're supposed to pray. And I, you know, I didn't want to ignore this, but I don't want to say it to you again. Of course, you're supposed to pray for me, and I'm supposed to pray for you. And, 
you're supposed to pray for everybody in this place and pray for the saints and pray for your pastors and pastors pray for your congregation and pray for your enemies. Of course, you know that. Pray, pray, pray all the time. Everybody everywhere. And you can look it up if you want. And you're supposed to pray without ceasing. And I am too. Uh, watch and pray, says Jesus in the garden. When things are worst, that's when you pray hardest. And that, of course, is when we often find it hardest to pray. So um, I want you to hear everything that's said here, and even Basil's prayer um, as the gospel, not the law, as a blessing, not the judgment. That somebody out there can pray like that should encourage you to know that the Holy Spirit is still at work, and even in you and me. And then under number six, this little thing from uh, St. Augustine. If you love a little, you pray a little. If you love a lot, you pray a lot. And I was struck by rereading so many of the fathers and mothers of the church. Of course, when it comes time to pray, they too also presume that everybody should be doing it. It's just what, you, it's just what we do, right? If you're a Christian, you pray. You can't, you can't imagine a prayerless Christian. Doesn't it? it does pray. If you don't pray as a Christian... There's a question about whether you're a Christian, not because you're a bad person, but because whether the Holy Spirit is present and animating you, right? So, you know, this is at least a, it's a little bit of a tell. From time to time, I've had friends who have said to me, I, you know, I haven't prayed in a decade. Um, that's not a cause for judgment, but it's a cause for great spiritual concern because that means something is really kinked. And so you'd ask yourself, if there's a kink in the hose, Right? How do you get people to pray? Tell them to pray. That's like saying, how do you get people to be humble? Tell them to be humble. So many things in the Christian life, if you want to hit this, you aim over here. And if you want to pray more, at least for Augustine, you don't aim at praying, you aim at loving. And the only way that you'll ever love anybody is if you understand that you're beloved. It's only when you understand that God loves you. You know, whether you're the kind of person who sort of puts up a good front and sort of like, uh, you know, he's lucky to love me. (laughs) Or if you're the kind of person who thinks I'm completely unlovable, so that can possibly be true. Or anywhere in between. You know, the answer is that Jesus loves you. And, you know, someday his love will have its way with you. And um, as it has its way with you, he'll teach you to pray. And as you pray, you'll express your love for other people. Right? So, um, I can't do everything because I left so much in. This is my, you know, second to last draft. So, uh, the next bit is, you know, about praying for your enemies. Actually, I want you to pray for your enemies, but I don't want to talk about that today because here's where I see really where the pastoral care has to happen. In the church, so I'm kind of like, I know the world is out there, and I know it's difficult, and I know, but what my experience has been and continues to be is pastors going at pastors, and people going at pastors, and pastors going at people, and inside the church, things being really difficult, and uh, I don't see that as the way of Jesus, so I guess, you know, you know you should pray for your enemies, pray for your enemies, but I'm actually, today, I just want you to talk about praying for your non-enemies, you know, praying for the church. So number seven, um, 
a few years ago, probably a decade now, I went to on a spiritual retreat. Um, as often happens, it's in silence, which is um, takes a bit of getting used to if you're if you come from a place like this where everything is busy and loud. You know, the first couple of days are always a shocker. But this particular place followed the medieval tradition of having one monk read while everyone else eats. And uh, they were reading this book from Dom Hugh Gilbert, uh, who's an abbot at a famous monastery in the United Kingdom. And you know, this is one of those things where you kind of go, I've never heard of this guy and everything he says makes sense, speaks to me, right? So uh, a little bit from him now. Lack of prayer is the single greatest cause of the world's unhappiness. I don't know if you believe that. You certainly couldn't get that on Twitter. Lack of prayer, because I thought it was, I thought it was economic division. I thought it was, you know, um, racial tensions. I thought it was, you know, whatever. Lack of prayer is the single great cause of the world's unhappiness. What helps? And that's such a nice, um, that comes from a guy who hears confession. That comes from a guy who has been around a bit and given spiritual direction. Because, of course, if you say to people, lack of prayer is the single great cause of the world's unhappiness, then the very next thing that people will say who are, you know, okay, now what? Because, you know, we're all driven A to B. What helps? Well, first, the scriptures, first the word, right? And then in the third paragraph, why? Because, I, I mean, if you're a Lutheran, this is where your knee jerks and you say something about inspired or errant. Yeah, okay, good. But then calm down for a moment. The practical outcome is why is God's word important? Because it rescues you from all your words. Because frankly, I have an opinion about everything and I wouldn't mind talking about it. Even to the exclusion of what Jesus might have to say. Even in a way that I can rationalize my sins or remain quite short-sighted or unmerciful. And it's painful you know, to hear Jesus say to you, check that, or pay attention to this. So before you pray, you should be rescued from your own ideas. You should be rescued from your own words. It makes complete sense when you say it out loud. Second, you 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 see how this thing is? He says, you know what, you know what your problem is? You know what your problem is, you people? You don't pray. You say, okay, what do I do? He doesn't say pray. He says, you know what you should do? You should probably read a psalm or two. And then you know what you should do? He doesn't say pray. He says, you know what you should do then? You should probably love somebody. Maybe somebody you don't like. Maybe your enemies. What do we do? What helps? First, scripture. Second, accepting one another. Loving other people, if you like, that is, and then here's the key, right? Patient love. My brother is an occasion of prayer. 
until he is, I don't know you. The fascinating experience when we were in Turkey. There's a throwaway line for her, our guide, who is an Orthodox guide. We were at um, the place where the deacon Lydia was. It's beautiful, small but beautiful little church. Looking around the mosaics and then looking at the font. And offhandedly, our guide says, we're Orthodox and a child doesn't exist until he's baptized. Amazing thing. Never thought of it that way. Of course, you have to understand it in the right way, of course, but you don't exist until you're baptized. That's quite remarkable stuff. You don't exist until you're baptized. My brother is an occasion of prayer. Until he is, I don't know him. Until you, don't, until you pray for the other people in this room, they're actually not your brothers and sisters in Christ. And you don't know anything about them. That doesn't mean you need to pry into what they need or say, give me a list of things I should pray for. Most people can't handle that. If I never know one more bad thing about anybody, I've had enough. But I can still pray for people. And, you know, Basil's prayer. All the people I remember, remember and then you know what? I've got to get to work, and I'm sure I've forgotten. Jesus, you pray for the rest of them. That's very, very nice, right? That's the prayer of somebody who's actually prayed and not just talked about praying or ignored praying. Until I pray for you, I don't know you. Until you pray for me, you don't know me. Until I pray for you, you don't exist. Until I pray for you, until you pray for me, I don't exist. Until I pray for you, you don't exist. If you understand that in the right way. Everybody's unhappy. What helps? Reading the scriptures. And of course, you can't say word small w without word incarnate big W. Reading the scriptures, knowing Christ. Praying for people. I mean, lo loving other people, right? And then prayer. It's a matter of life and death for people to pray. And as the heart expands, right? Patient love. As your heart expands, we say about people, they're soft-hearted or they have a big heart. He has a big heart. It's about the nicest thing you can say about somebody. She is soft-hearted. Doesn't need any explanation. It's a matter of life and death. And as the heart expands, as much for others as for himself, and as much for himself as for others, believing takes practice. You pray and other people get better, you pray and you get better. There's more coming from other church fathers about that. In fact, I left some of it out because maybe I shouldn't have, I don't know, it's, there's so much, you know, this is one of those things that's kind of overwhelming. When you start here, you realize how all the smart people are talking about it, and all the dumb people aren't saying a word. So you start to read the smart people, and you go, ugh. If all the smart people are talking about the same thing, you know, but one of the things that's very common now, this theme is picked up by the fathers and mothers of the church who say, when you pray for other people, it benefits them and it benefits you. And if it doesn't benefit you, you're not really praying for them. Such an interesting spiritual diagnosis. 
crazy. He has to cry mercy. He has to call down the Holy Spirit. It is painful, as any burning need is. And all the pain of the world flows into it. And where there is need, there is desire. And where there is desire, a way is found. You see that? That's just describing love. If you don't love other people, you don't see their needs. If you don't see their needs, you don't see their desires. And if you don't see their desires, you're not doing anything about it. This works for food distribution as well as it works for prayer. Same, same, same. Right? When you have a gentle heart, a soft heart, a big heart, you see the needs of other people. You don't see the needs of other people, you don't do anything. You see the needs of other people, you're busy, busy, busy. Right? And where there is need, there's desire. Where there's desire, a way is found. You'll figure out a way to do it. I mean, it's the same for giving tithing and alms, right? If you don't see the need, then, you know, you don't give. And if you see the need, you can't give enough. The test is always what I do when I have nothing else to do. If my prayer is just a hobby or a projection or a distraction, I need to change. So I'm turning the page here. I'm sorry this isn't better edited, but you know, some of these I'm not going to read. You can um, kind of. So here's how it goes forward. What do I do, right? You start with the scriptures, and there's an old Lutheran tradition of this. Um, this thing from Adolf Kaberly basically says order your prayers according to the scriptures. That, I mean, it's said in a very German systematic sort of way, but it's true. And this interesting thing where he says free prayer and silent prayer require years of faithful observation. You don't start with what's ever in your heart. If you dare to pray outside the liturgy of the church, you can only do that when you've prayed the liturgy of the church for a long time. Because otherwise your prayers are going to like weave all over the road and, you know, not do any good. St. Theophan the Recluse, this is the bottom of page 8. You, know, you can hear this now. So he's a recluse. He's out either as a hermit or in the desert. People hear about this holy man. Miracles happen when they get close to him. He's a dispenser of great wisdom. I told you, you know, I was reading about a church father the other week. These guys are coming and pulling on him. For six weeks they pull at him and just give us a word, tell us what to do. Pull at him push him around, try to get something from him. You know, six weeks in, he looks at all of them and he says, weep for your sins. And then he's silent for another six weeks. But you know what? If you would weep for your sins, you'd be a different kind of person. You pray for other people, you're a different kind of person. The greatest, this is the second paragraph, the greatest practitioners of prayer kept a rule, a prayer rule. They would always begin with established prayers. So here I want to encourage you a little bit. They always begin with established prayers, and if during the course of these prayers, a prayer started on its own, they would put the other side and pray that prayer. Often when people come to me about prayer, one of the great troubles they have is they get distracted. So they find, they say, I'll sit down and pray, you know, you start with a little bit of silence and they kind of add some prayers to it. And they say the Our Father, for example, and they get three lines in and their mind is everywhere. 
makes them crazy and they start again and you know so they've sat there for 20 minutes and they still haven't gotten to an amen now they're crazier still so what do they do they call me on the emergency line this is not an emergency okay it's saturday kirby's trying to get me watch netflix i'm trying to resist that's an emergency this is not an emergency it's very common for people to begin to pray pray with a rule a rule just means you have order right Start to pray. And so Theophan gives you a little consolation. You know what happens when you start to pray? Your world gets bigger. You know what happens when your world gets bigger? You start to see more things you should pray about. You see needs and desires. You start to love more people and more things. You start to feel troubles more deeply. You know what will happen then? Your mind is going to explode. Because the world is a ghetto. War. For you who are, I'll send you the YouTube if you want. Right? So what happens? What does Theophan say? That's all right, you can let that go. Why don't you see where that takes you? Because if they come to mind, those people probably need some prayers. If this is what the great practitioners of prayer did, all the more reason for us to do it. Without established prayers, we wouldn't know how to pray. Without Basil, we wouldn't know how to pray. I mean, I just look at that. I just, it's like looking at a, it's looking like a Richter or Picasso. You look at that, you go, how did he do that? Right? So now, you shouldn't know or you should remember that this is always. Nobody prays without Jesus and his example. And while we know the stories, we often don't like the example. And the reason I know that we don't like the example is because we don't follow it. So look at this from Augustine again. And this was one of the most striking things. To a person... These guys who are brilliant theologians and these women who prayed so well to a person, they talk about the gentleness and love that motivates or energizes their prayer. So you know the text, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. So Jesus is praying for people who are nailing them to a cross. When he was praying as he hung on the cross, this, look at this. I, I shortened this quote way down. This is a very long quote, but just, it's just this little bit. As Jesus hung on the cross... He could see, and he could foresee. So he saw the people who nailed him to the cross. He saw the people who spit on him and mocked him. He could see, and then he could foresee. He could see into the future. He could see all his enemies. He could foresee that many of them would become his friends. Is that how you and I think about our enemies? We look at people that we don't like and we say to ourselves, I can step over this, I can overlook this because someday he'll be my friend. This is why he was praying for them all. This is why he was interceding for them all. They were raging. He was praying. What more do you need to know about the world than that? They are raging. We are multiple choice. You pick. LCMS, your congregation, A, raging, B, praying. Don't say it out loud because it'll hurt my soul. They were raging. He was praying. And now why? 
everything that's everybody said already. Word, knee, love, prayer, need, desire, love, prayer. They all say the same thing. And it's all drawn out of Jesus. He was hanging from the cruel nails, but he did not lose his gentleness. I don't hardly know any Christians who are talking this way. I mean, I read a lot every week. I get dozens, literally dozens and dozens, hundreds of email from church people every week. It doesn't sound like this. He was hanging from cruel nails. So substitute your own suffering, whatever it's been the last year or two or three or four or whatever. He was hanging from cruel nails, but he did not lose his gentleness because he could see that because of love, people who hated him would become his friends. So he went ahead and prayed for him. And then Ambrose, of course, right? Who baptized Augustine in the Cathedral of Milan. You can still go see the place. I mean, you stand there and look at it, you're like, Ambrose baptized Augustine here. Feels like you're in some metaverse somewhere. Who wouldn't learn to forgive their enemies when they see, even on the cross, Jesus prayed for those who persecuted him? Don't you see? Don't you see? Everybody sees. Don't you see? Don't you see the weakness of Christ are your strength? His tears wash us, and his weeping cleanses us. Abbe Zeno said, if a man wants God to hear his prayers, he must pray with all his heart for his enemies. Ephraim the Syrian, the great songwriter, who's a deacon, not a pastor. Startling musical and lyrical ability. To you, O victor, pierced by nails, who calls out to sinners, saying, come receive forgiveness freely to you, I unrelentingly pray, O my Savior, Turn your eyes away from my lawlessness and by your sufferings heal my sores that I may glorify your kindness. And of course, the way you glorify your kindness is to love the people that you're with in church and love your enemies as yourself. So, you know, just a little bit of encouragement. Um, It's almost time to go, but point 11, you can do it. And people are always flummoxed by the pray without ceasing. There's several ways to think about this, but you can look at this little thing from Isaac of Nineveh, right? Jonah went to Nineveh. Isaac was a monk there. In every moment of our life, even when it appears to have ceased, prayer is secretly at work within us continuously. If you have the Holy Spirit, you're praying. So you can do it, and you can love your enemies. I've given you uh, a little bit by Thomas Hopko, who is a genius of a guy. But turn the page, and there's a little quote from Brothers Karamazov, right? Zosima. Uh, now, here's the thing. Now, just as soon as I read this, of course, I can't help but think of all the Christians who want to flee to the hills. We're just going to create our own little sect out there, and we're going to hunker down, and it'll be just us. And, of course, that... Well, I was about to swear there, which tells you how I feel about this. Let me say more gently, it seems to be a bit of a contradiction to the gospel this morning. Brothers, do not be afraid of men's sins. 
Love man even in his sins. For that is the semblance of divine love and it is the highest love on earth. Brothers, don't be afraid of sinners. Jesus came to save sinners. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5. And later he adds, at some ideas you stand perplexed, especially at the sight of men's sins. They're sinners and we're really holy. They're really bad, we're really good. They're really disordered and chaotic. We're really fabulous. Aren't we fabulous? Wait, how do you get to humility again? Oh yeah. Asking yourself whether to combat it. And here it is, by force or by humble love. The great Nagel quote I give you that you know every other Lutheran pastor I bump into hates. Where he says, nothing good, capital G, comes by force. Nothing good happens by force. Big G, perfect virtue. Always decide, I will combat it by humble love. If you make up your mind about that once for all, you may be able to conquer the whole world. Right? Bottom of the page under 13. Prayer is rising above ourselves into God. Obedience is rising above ourselves. So is patience. So is mortification. So is everything else. The Christian lives in Christ, in the one crucified, now the risen one. Right? And then Polycarp. Ignatius to Polycarp. Uh, Ignatius to Polycarp sorry. Um, I pray for your happiness forever in our God, Jesus Christ. You can sort of have the rest of them. Um, and then with Luther, it says, pray and let God worry. I just, I just can't, you know, I can't actually kind of say this too strongly. You know, your choice is to pray or not pray. Jesus says to pray. Your choice is to love or not love. Jesus says to love. Your choice is to think, be, be humble or, or not be humble. Jesus says to be humble. And Jesus hangs from his nails with a gentle heart and he looks out and he loves the people who are hurting him because he sees someday they'll be his friends. That's how you should look at the world. Okay, we got to go. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Okay, thanks. Hey, voters meeting at this time next week.